Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. Starting March 1st, Bowtie Cinemas has instituted a new admission policy. No one under 17 will be admitted to any show that starts after 7.30 or later. No exceptions, regardless of the film's rating or if you're with parents. However, Joe Masher, the COO of Bowtie Cinemas, informed me that they will schedule family-appropriate shows prior to 7.30. Technically, Richmond already has a curfew for teens after 11 p.m., but it's been a challenge to comply, so now that won't be an issue. Masher also commented, Our guests have asked for it overwhelmingly over the years. I figured it would be best if we did it versus our competitors who would likely not implement such a policy. This type of policy is growing throughout the U.S. Well, we don't want your pipeline. We don't want your pipeline. We'll take the sunshine, the water, and wind. We're going to put a stop sign on Dominion's pipeline. Go tell your neighbors. Go tell your friends. The Atlantic Coast Pipeline was a natural gas pipeline that was going to run from West Virginia to North Carolina through Virginia. It was canceled in 2020 thanks partly to the opposition from localities affected by it. One of the most effective was the Friends of Nelson County, which brings us to that song you just heard. It's the theme song by two famous Virginians for the video, which is part of this year's Richmond Environmental Film Festival. I'll be chatting with four people, including the video's director, about the festival and the video. Sifter, review of the week. Hello Tomorrow on Apple TV+. Billy Crudup plays the leader of a team that travels to various cities selling lots on the moon. What makes this series look appealing is the retro-futuristic 50 style that adds sci-fi elements like robots, hover cars, and funky electronics. These glimpses are cool, but once the novelty wears off, this turns into a more traditional narrative. The wisecrack interactions of the sales team provide a smidge of humor and mildly entertaining fun characters, but Crudup's character's obsession with a young new sales trainee dominates the drama. Despite his effective portrayal, this show starts with promise, but mostly abandons its cool factor for more traditional fare. This review is based on the first four episodes, but there are hints about secrets yet to be revealed in the remaining six shows. I gave Hello Tomorrow three out of five stars. Welcome to Sifter. Before we get started with some questions about the festival and the documentary, why don't you each introduce yourselves and tell us how you're involved in the festival and or the documentary. Why don't you each introduce yourselves and tell us what you did on the project, and then we'll start asking you some questions. Woody, why don't you start? You're all the way in Hawaii. You took a moment out to uh, come back from surfing. <laughs> Snorkeling, not surfing. I live in Nelson County, Virginia, and I've lived there since 1972. We got there in the wake of uh, Hurricane Camille, which had devastated the county. After a stint as a reporter for the local newspaper and then the Daily Progress covering the State House and so on, I uh, was offered a job at the University of Lynchburg. Then it was called Lynchburg College, and I became part of the communication studies program there, teaching journalism, video production, and things of that nature. I've always had an interest in environmental issues, so some of my work as a documentarian has been in that area. Keith, you got the special T-shirt on for us that they can't see because it's audio, but what does it say? No pipeline. What's that about? Why are you on here, Keith? Keith Elliott is the full name. <laughs> That's about Woody's film, documenting Atlantic Coast Pipeline out in uh, Nelson County and efforts by Dominion to get it through unsuccessfully, thank goodness. <laughs> What's your involvement in the project, Keith? 
In this project, I'm the uh, co-chair of the uh, Richmond Environmental Film Festival Film Selection Committee. Uh-huh. In that project, I own land in Nelson, <laughs> so oh. was very involved in protests and such. Now let's switch over to Sally Chambers, who is in Florida, not quite as exotic as Hawaii, but still not in Richmond. <laughs> Uh, This is my second year of being involved with the Richmond Environmental Film Festival. And last year, I helped out with the Film Selection Committee. And this year, had the opportunity to do that again and now to co-chair it with Keith. And Gil, Sigmund, tell us what your relationship is here. Uh, I've been involved with the festival for seven or eight years, including president for the last three years. So as president, I have a chance to help the organization be available to people such as Sally and Keith so that they can do their part to bring the festival to the community. There are going to be, of course, a number of films at the festival, including Wildcat, which I actually have interviewed the uh, the two filmmakers of that, the local Richmonders, uh, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And you've got some other films, and they'll all be listed on the website, tvjerry.com. But we're going to talk specifically about the one that I've had a chance to see in advance called Friends of Nelson, Lessons Learned. What's the basic premise of that? Friends of Nelson was one of the first uh, communities to organize against the Atlantic Coast Pipeline in 2014. We started looking for grant money and we received a grant for water testing so that we could help property owners along the path of the pipeline to test their water both before construction started and then after construction was underway to see if it was having an impact, an adverse impact on their water. When Dominion pulled the plug in 2020, We offered the money back to the foundation that had given us that grant. And they said, well, why don't you think of something you can do with it? And we proposed to do a video on lessons learned directed at other communities and a, I was going to call it a pamphlet. It's 78 pages. I don't know if that fits pamphlet. That's um, a book. That's a novella. (laughs) Yeah, it is. 78 pages of much more detail than I could go into in a one hour video on how Friends of Nelson organized and how it worked at the neighborhood level, at the countywide level, and what worked and what didn't work, and offers advice, particularly in the area of legal strategies and, and organizational work. Actually, Keith and I go way back. He was an intern for me at Richmond Public Schools when I was producing video there. I don't know what year was that, Keith, 80-something? Oh, must have been. I can't remember the year exactly. We both had all our hair back then. (laughs) The reason I bring that up is because I worked for Richmond Schools for 10 years producing videos, and I watched this, and it's not really a documentary. It's more like an educational video broken into five parts, so they're like five different lessons. There were minimal production values behind this, as I'm sure you know, uh, Woody. Did, you know, there's not really a lot of lighting. There's no real graphics. It's pretty much just people sitting in a room talking. So what was the process in putting that together? We had something like 28 hours of interviews to go through. And in reviewing them, as you know, that's what a producer does. And I was taken by how educated and smart people had made themselves about the pipeline. And I decided, I made a deliberate decision not to make it flashy. You can flash up a a documentary, and I've done those. But I wanted people to concentrate on what these people were saying. So you're right. It's an educational video, not an entertainment video. Did you try to get anybody from Dominion to talk at all? Or I imagine they said no, but was there even an effort made? That was a deliberate choice on our part. We weren't doing this to give Dominion its say. We were doing this to teach other communities about 
how Dominion acted and how we respond, we in the community responded. And by the way, we weren't the only ones doing this. There were 12 regional organizations that were part of ABRA, the uh, Appalachian Blue Ridge Alliance. Well, well, Sally, let me ask you a question. As somebody on the selection committee and somebody who doesn't live in Nelson County, why did you choose this project and why did you think it was important to include in the festival? It began with the executive director of the Capital Region Land Conservancy that contacted Gil um, saying that there was this film available and it was out there. And I took a, took a look at it and I thought that it would be really valuable for people to see because I think often individuals will see something that's happening that is destructive to our planet. It has environmental impact and they feel a bit helpless and they're not sure what to do or if even their small steps will make a difference. And I think what really struck me about the film that Woody and his crew created was that it showed the power of you know many people, perhaps with multiple interests, coming together and really working in a very deliberate and organized way to fight what I what I read about is sort of like a David and Goliath kind of of experience. You know, I thought, wow, this would be really great for people to see who really want to make a difference, but not aren't really sure how to make a difference. So, Gil, this is a five parter. Are you going to show this in one piece on the night at the festival? Or are you going to break it up? It, that's our plan to show it through, you know, like uh, other feature films that we have. Yes. I haven't mentioned it yet, and I'm going to play a little cut from it now. The song, that Woody Guthrie-esque theme song. What was what's the story behind who wrote that and how did you get it recorded and all that kind of stuff? Robin and Linda Williams, who you may know from NPR and the Prairie Home Companion, right? Who lived in Virginia. Um, volunteered to write that song. They wrote it early on when they found out about the pipeline. There were at least four other songs written about the pipeline, too. Wow. Keith, why don't you tell us about one or two of the other films that are coming that people might find interesting? Well, one of the films that I'm really excited about last year seeing at the D.C. Environmental Film Festival was Forest for the Trees. And it was kind of a unique film, I thought, about environmental films because it was really focused on tree planters and Canada, uh, renewing clear-cut areas. But it was really focused on these community of individuals that would come together for a certain amount of time. And it was extremely physically hard work, but they also had this collective community of support. And they all came with things that were struggles for them, whether it was mental health or substance abuse or uh, trauma history. Through this physical work of renewing the environment, and in this community, they really were helping to heal themselves. Well, that's interesting because I mentioned Wildcat, which you're showing, which is a similar yeah. subject because yeah. it's a it's an Afghan war vet who came back and did that, obviously, with the ocelots. So there's two of those. Right. Yeah, right. And the director of this, uh, Reader Lesner, uh, she was a 10-year veteran of this program of tree planting, and she then became a photography war correspondent for 20 years in Afghanistan and Iraq. And she said she was often asked, what prepared you for this life? And she said, tree planting. Wow. <laughs> and, wow. Like she, and she came back here and spent five years making this film and a photography book and things like that about this project. Now, Gil, since you've been involved the longest, why was the festival created in the first place? And, and how, what's the history of it? Roots go back to the Sierra Club. So several of the founders of that 
Tamara Smith and Scott Berger are still involved with the festival in our 13th year. Our mission is an educational mission. That's why this, the film we were just talking about, it serves our, our, our purpose to educate people. That's why this particular film is, is valuable because it shows how to successfully mount a, a campaign in that kind of battle. Do you know any way to, to identify or earmark or know that the festival makes a difference? either with the people who come to see it or after, you know, after they've seen something, they go out and do something other than just people coming to see the movies. Do you think the festival has an effect? Well, you know, we have attendance of, of you know, several thousand people attend each year. Whenever we send out a mail, um, mailing campaign, 80% of the people who get the email open it up. And, and that's significant indication that people want to follow these issues. And of course, our volunteers, every year we have new people coming to us because they're, they're interested and having a personal uh, hand in shaping things. Great. And I'll, by the way, I'll, if you're still looking for volunteers, I will put a link on the webpage, too, that people can contact you uh, before the festival. Jerry. Yes. Jerry, can I make a comment? Because I came to the festival for many years before I became involved. Right. And I've come across films that were really spoke to me and pass them on to people, you know, in DVDs or streaming or whatever else, because, it, you know, it was important to me. I thought these were great films for people to see. So that's why I even joined this year. Uh-huh. Sally, how about you? You know, I, I feel that the process of education, you know, is really key. My background is as an educator. So I feel like the educational piece is really important for people in our community. We were really excited when we had a much younger person join our committee and to have her perspective, <laughs> have her perspective and what would be effective and appealing to an audience. You know, the more people we can get on board, first of all, to be aware and then to begin talking about issues and then to talk about small steps that they may want to take personally. I think that's the best thing for Mother Earth. Well, now that brings up an interesting point. You said lucky to have somebody who's a little younger. Obviously, you would think the young people would be the most concerned because they're the ones that have to face our planet in the future. Do you see a younger audience coming to the festival, Gil, or anybody over the years? Or is it still more people who are more in the activist phase of their life and maybe 50 and over? I would say that there's a real young segment attending the festival. The volunteers that run it, though, are people who have more time and tend to be, you know, um, empty nesters kind of people. So right. young people don't have the time to do these sorts of events, but they certainly, uh, as exactly as you say, feel climate change and the climate crisis is important in their lifetime. So Woody, I want to ask you, did the documentary make a difference or has it yet? I know if you want people, other people to watch it so they can use it in their community, but have you seen it making a, a difference yet? I think it, it is making a difference and we have gotten feedback from people who have seen it and organizations that would like to see it or want and have downloaded the uh, written piece of work. Keith, you own property. It wasn't in the easement. Were you involved at all in the protest or in the uh, attempts to stop it? Yes, yes. In the protest here in Richmond and writing letters to FERC and the water control issues and, you know, legislature. Yeah, as much as I could do here from a distance. So the festival is coming up soon. Sally, why don't you give us some of the uh, when, where, and how? The festival will open on March 10th. And as you have um, talked about in a previous podcast, that will be Wildcat shown at the Science Museum of Virginia. And we're excited about that for so many reasons, including the fact that it, we have local filmmakers who created the film, Wildcat. And then on March the 11th and 12th, we have 11 films that will be shown at the Bird Theater. They are free, which we hope 
people will really appreciate and will come and enjoy as many films as possible. And that's all thanks to our supporters. And then the following week through the 21st at different sites around the um, city of Richmond, our festival of many will take place where our partners are showing films in their settings. Uh And there will be a film each evening through the 21st. About that Saturday, March 11th, the first part of the day is really kind of family-focused films. And one of the ones I'm real excited about showing on the big screen is uh, David Attenborough's film, A Life on Our Planet. Uh, And on the big screen, it's just an incredibly beautiful film. And also, you know, you get this perspective of 96 years exploring the Earth, which I think is invaluable for kids to hear. My last question was going to be, what are you watching? But I just have to mention, since you just mentioned Attenborough, have you all seen Conk on Earth yet? (laughs) (laughs) I know about it, but no. Uh, what have you seen? It's hilarious, isn't it? It's great. Uh, yeah, it's a wonderful takeoff on those classic documentaries, and it's very funny. So, Gil, since this is all free, where are you getting the money to do this? Are you just that rich? <laughs> you know, an important part of the festival is for us to show that the climate crisis is something that you know, we all need to work together to address. This is not one you know group or the other. So it's important to us to have many, many sponsors and so, you know, it's like-minded organizations, businesses, they give us donations. Okay. And there's also individuals give us donations who believe in this. It shows it's a small festival, but we have many supporters. That's good. So speaking of Conk on Earth, what are y'all watching? It doesn't have to be environmental, doesn't have to be a documentary, but when you got time to just chill at home, why don't y'all round robin and tell us what you're watching? Anything by David Attenborough that's on Smithsonian Channel or National Geographic Channel or PBS. That's what I watch. You're so predictable, Woody. (laughs) (laughs) Sally, how about you? Oh, let's see. Well, we just finished watching a series which I found hilarious and full of dark humor, and that is Bad Sisters. Oh, that's great, too. Yeah, yeah. And they're doing a second season of that, believe it or not. Oh, um, I can't wait. Keith? Apple TV, uh, the series Pacino, about the Korean family, four generations, really beautifully done. Couldn't get through two episodes. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> we really liked it a lot. And there's going to be a season two. Oh, okay, um, good. Well, I'll be sure not to watch that one either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you liked it. Gil, what about you? Yeah, I've been uh, watching The Crown and re-watching it. <laughs> Saw it, bought the series, and watched it again. Oh, goodness. You're a real fan of it. Okay, great, great. I want to thank you all for taking some time on your Saturday from Florida and Hawaii and here in Richmond to talk about the Richmond, Virginia Environmental Film Festival. And we will have, like I mentioned, we'll have full information on the website. People can check out the links and all that. So I want to thank you all very much and wish you good luck with the festival. All right. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. I've been talking with four people who were involved in this year's Richmond Environmental Film Festival and the video about Nelson County's opposition to the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. They were the video's director, Woody Greenberg, president of the festival, Gil Sigmund, and two members of the selection committee, Sally Chambers and Keith Elliott. There are links to the festival and the video on the webpage for this show at TV Jerry. Coming soon. In theaters. Creed 3. Michael B. Jordan returns in the title role with Jonathan Majors as his childhood friend and now opponent. Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. Director Guy Ritchie again teams up with Jason Statham, who's trying to take down a billionaire arms dealer, Hugh Grant, with his favorite movie star, Josh Hartnett. Children of the Corn. This is the 11th installment in the classic series about deadly children. TV and streaming. 
In a Netflix first, they're broadcasting a new Chris Rock stand-up live at 10 p.m. this Saturday night, and I'm sure he'll be mentioning Will Smith's slap. True Lies. CBS has made a TV series out of the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with Steve Howey and Ginger Gonzaga. Daisy Jones and the Six on Amazon. It stars Riley Keough and is shot documentary style, tracing the rise and fall of a fictional 70s rock band. Sex Life is back for season two on Netflix. Perry Mason returns to HBO for its second season. The Mandalorian is back for season three on Disney+. The Independent Spirit Awards, my favorite and more fun than the others, airs on March 4th on IFC's YouTube channel. I'll have a link on the website. You can subscribe to this podcast on all the major services. Just go to tvjerry.com, click on the podcast tab, and there's a link. Next week features an interview with Richmond native Caroline Aaron, who went on to become an accomplished actor for stage and screen. Most recently, she's been playing the mother-in-law in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and will be in town at the Jewish Community Center on March 16th. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands, thousands of, of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.